All right, well, uh, this morning we're going to start a um, kind of a four-week series in setting this year up, and we're going to take this theme of, of generosity and how, how can we give our lives away? I mean, what does that really look like? Um, if you've ever seen posted around our five values, the number one value that we have is love for the story of Scripture. We believe that is the story of the world. We live, we can, uh, many times we can live our lives in smaller stories. You know, the story of our own family, the, the story of the tailors or the story of the Smiths or whatever, um, and, and make that the point. Scripture says, no, there's this other epic going on. There's this huge epic going on, and you're a part of it. And God has uh, welcomed you into this narrative that he's telling, and the hero of this story is Jesus. And we're called to worship and, and look at him. And so I ask myself, are we cultivating a love for the story of Scripture here at Westtown? I mean, if you've been at Westtown for a while, do you love Scripture more now than when you first came? That is a goal of ours. That's, that's a huge value that we have. Because the story of the garden, right? I mean, if you think of the Bible as essentially between two trees, if you will, the Garden of Eden, And then the very end of the Bible is uh, the new garden city. And Jesus says, I've created, there is a big fall. There is this whole, from Genesis 3 to the Revelation 19, redemption. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, um, there is the consummation. And the consummation is simply heaven. It says heaven is going to come down. And John the revelator, John the apostle, describes it as a big cube coming down. Heaven is going to come down to earth. That's why when Jesus said, pray like me, he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We don't think of it directionally, but that's the way he meant it. Thy kingdom come down. What does this mean for our church to love the story of scripture? That's the overall umbrella of which we kind of planted this church, love for the story of scripture. But underneath that, okay, so how do we do that? I mean, what does that look like for a church to be effective um, over time? Sustainable effectiveness. Do you feel like our church is? If you're a member of our church, do you feel like, okay, yeah, I'm seeing these values playing themselves out in my life more than they ever have, and I'm, and I'm seeing, okay, my love for the story of Scripture plays itself out through these things. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the other four values under the umbrella of loving the story of Scripture. How do we effectively practice that out? How do we, how do we play that uh, out? Um, and so, if you have your Bibles, um, I want you to turn to John. <laughs> we spent a long time in John. We're actually going to go back for this week, back to John. Uh, John chapter 1. And... Um, Jesus comes down to earth. He begins to gather his disciples. How does he do that? It should be formative for us. He is gathering his... his uh, Jesus spent a lot of time with the sick and hurting. But, but even more than that, he, he spent time, obviously, with the 12 disciples. And this is part of the story of him calling uh, the disciples to himself. It says, we're going to start at verse 43. Jesus, as he's doing this, it says, The next day, 
Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. If you unpack that a little bit, this is um, the greatest invitation that's ever been offered. Because when we follow Jesus, when we listen to Jesus, we know that what? That invitations can change everything. An invitation can change people's lives completely. I remember when um, Matt Allman, this huge, big guy um, at Florida State said, um, I I knew him and he said, hey, you should come out to the circus lot. Uh, I want to invite you out to the circus lot. You're going to think it's weird, but it's a lot of acrobatics and throwing people around and getting shot off teeter boards, you should try it. I mean, he invited me. It was a simple invitation. And then little did I know that I would step foot on the circus lot and uh, three years, essentially, I did study a little bit at Florida State, but three years of being uh, in the circus, doing all kinds of things I'd never done before and... Um, meeting my lovely gymnast, you know, trapeze flying wife. Um, thinking that simple invitation by Matt Allman changed my life. It was an absolute game changer. And Jesus, he looks at, at Philip, and what, does he, what, what did he use to, 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 to bring Philip? An invitation. I want to invite you to come and follow me. I want to invite you to a new way. You look around the world and you see the Roman Empire and you look around Tampa and you see the way people do life and Jesus says to you and to me, hey, I want you, I want to invite you to follow me. I I think um, we need um, to, to look at that as prescriptive for us. Do you believe that? Think about when someone has invited you somewhere. What did it take for that person to invite you? Have you ever been, I mean, just invited over to someone else's house? An invitation. They thought about it. They were intentional. There was preparation. I want to invite you to come. Our, one of our biggest values is doing that. Now, here's what happens. Philip, um, he says, Philip, come and follow me. Verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the same town, or was from the town of Bethsaida. And so they were, they were boys, right? Andrew had been changed by Jesus. He called his other hometown boy, Peter, and said, you need to meet this guy, Jesus. And then uh, Andrew and Peter are talking with Philip, all from the same town. And so what do you do? What do you do when someone's invited you to something and it's changed your life? You go find your buddy. You go find your best buddy. Philip, he found Nathaniel. All four of these guys were from Bethsaida. Right? This little, this kind of, this little town up off the Sea of Galilee. Kind of the the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee. All of them grew up in the same town. And Philip's life has been changed. He goes and finds his buddy. He goes, Hando, we were two Jewish boys growing up. Nathaniel, right? We have found the one Moses wrote 
about the law. Remember all those Torah classes, all, all those classes where we had to memorize the, the Hebrew alphabet and all these you know, vocab words so that we could read the Torah? All of that, the climax of all of that, uh, this, this guy, this beautiful, perfect lawkeeper about whom the prophet also wrote, how we talked about uh, on Christmas Eve, we talked about, um, or, yeah, uh, I, I should know that, I preached on it. Um, I'm just forgetting the prophet that I preached off. Haggai. Um, that we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, who, who Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth. We found it. He gives the greatest news he could possibly give. And you think about that. When you received Christ, when you came into contact with Jesus, who are, who are some of the most zealous Christians, those who... Um, have just met him because their life has completely changed. And they say, you know, you know what, Daniel, I know I've been this guy and I've been kind of stodgy. This guy, Jesus, is freeing me up. In fact, he says things like, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The Sadducees and the Pharisees that we grew up with never said stuff like that. This guy is blowing my mind and he is a rabbi. Jesus is a 30-year-old Jewish rabbi. That's why you couldn't be a rabbi until you were 30. That's why Jesus waited till he was 30, so he had the street cred of being a rabbi. Hey, I'm going to interpret the Torah for you. Here is, I'm going to condense the 613 laws down to two. Love my father with all you've got, and love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to take all the Old Testament laws and put them down into two categories? And so Philip is changed. Now, imagine this. You're telling your buddy my life has changed. We got you got to meet this guy. I mean, what do you think might the reaction be of um, of Nathaniel? He wants to know where he's from. Oh, like Nazareth? Are you kidding? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I was um, about four or five years ago. I was out in uh, San Francisco. And uh, I was at this Bible conference, and this one, one guy came from Sacramento. And, you know, they were talking, and all those guys, and, and they're like, oh, you came from Sacramento? And it kind of felt like, oh, we're San Francisco people. You come from the smaller town in, in, um, uh, in Sacramento that's not here on the coast with the uppity, you know, uh, technology people. It's kind of like South Tampa people saying, oh, you're just from West Chase. You're not in the Blue Bloods down in, the, down in South Tampa or, you know, us West Chase people saying, oh, you're in New Tampa? Yeah, you're not over by the, by the water like we are in West Chase. Or New Tampa say, oh, you're from Temple Terrace? Yeah, it's a, we're a little bit more refined in New Tampa than Temple Terrace. You're from where? There's no way a Savior's going to come from uh, Nazareth. And I don't know, have you ever invited somebody... Um, to church um, and gotten this reaction because here's what we know is that God uses invitations but sometimes when you invite people to church or you invite people into kind of what God is doing in you through Jesus you'll get a reaction like this what are you talking about this guy I mean he sounds like a good dude but you know it's kind of like Gandhi you know just a really good kind of um, figurehead uh, it's like the Dalai Lama. I mean, there's nothing like truly divine about him. He kind of minimized it. Imagine 
you're Philip and you're all excited and your best buddy says, no, there's no way. He cannot, the guy that we've been studying or hoping for could not come from Nazareth. And here, I think it's amazing when you think about what it takes for you and for me to invite. Um, Because you have to be excited about something to invite somebody to it, right? You have to really believe it because people will tell if you're just throwing them a line. And here, what does um, Philip do? Philip doesn't even acknowledge the objection. He doesn't even say anything about what Nathaniel has just said. Instead of trying to convince him like I have, you know, well, no, 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 you should. No, I mean, let me tell you why. There's truth in here. No. What does Philip do when his buddy, who he invites to church, invites to meet Jesus, and he says, come on, what does he do? Philip and Nathaniel were close. And so instead of trying to convince him, trying to persuade him, trying to force something on him, what does he do? He just says, hey, look, man, it's me, right? I'm not going to give you some line. Just come and see, right? I mean, what is Philip doing here? I mean, when you think about Philip and Nathaniel and Andrew and Peter growing up in the same town, when you know you have uh, some semblance of trust, what does he leverage here? What does, what does Andrew, or excuse me, what does uh, Philip leverage here? And this is hard, right? Because you're cashing in chips at this point to say to your buddy, look, I know this sounds a little weird, but just, just come with me. I got two tickets. Don't ask any questions. You may think it's, a weird, it's the weirdest show ever, but because of what? Because of our relationship. Come and see. What is, not only does... Um, Philip uh, invite. He takes the investment of that relationship and he leverages it. He leverages his relationship with Nathaniel and says, trust me on this one. Now, this is, I I think, prescriptive for us as a church because this is where it gets funky. Oh man, I, I don't want this to mess with my relationship with this person next door. I don't want it to mess because I've been at work every single day with this person for five, six, seven years. And we have a great relationship. And here's what Philip does. This boyhood relationship. When his life was changed and Nathaniel kind of retorted back. No, come on. This is, this is some, come on. This is hocus pocus here. No. It's me, Philip. We're boys. You leverage the relationship. Even more sacrifice, right? Even, even more. What does it mean for you and for, for me to do that? To, to risk hurting a relationship, right? You risk that. Philip risked that with Nathaniel. So, next verse. So, obviously, we see this scene. When Jesus, what? When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching... He said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus said, as he saw Nathaniel, look, I can tell you're an intellect, right? 
And you are going to be true to yourself. You are not. There is no pretense with you, Nathaniel. You are true. There is going to be no deceit. And I can see that. And he wasn't saved. But Jesus was saying, I like who you are. Because you are true. This is before he's saved. Before he believes in Jesus. Jesus comes to him. See, Philip's. His invitation and an investment in Nathaniel, and then Jesus' investment in Philip, he knew what he had. He knew who he was um, introducing Nathaniel to. Nathaniel doesn't know what to do with that. Wait, he's never met Jesus before, so what's Nathaniel's response? Well, how, how do you know me, right? How, how do you know me, Nathaniel asked, and Jesus answered, I saw you. While you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. What? You what? Only the Son of God knows this kind of thing. Do you believe that the people that you know and that you have relationships with, do you believe that God is working in them and has already been working in them? And he knows your friends at work, in your neighborhood, in your same house, so much more than you do. And he has already been working. Before Philip's invitation of, you know, anything, Jesus said, before you even heard from Philip, I know you. I know you. You, Nathaniel, you're destined for this moment. And if we, right, if, if we could believe this about those that we come into contact with, that when you see it's not coincidence in your six-period English class that that person is sitting next to you because the truth that this scripture tells you about that person is that God knows and loves that person. That person that you, you walk by their cubicle at work, here's the truth of, of the matter, is that God knows them and loves them. And if you know that, And if you know that God is working and Jesus says, look, the fields, they're wide unto harvest, but I don't have very many laborers. What does that say to you and to me? He says, hey, look, it's on us. We know God controls the whole story, but here's what we know. God will use your invitation and your investment in that relationship to what? To bring the Nathaniels to him. So every relative, right? Every friend, every coworker, every every little baby, hey, God knows and knows them in the in the womb of their mom and knows them so much better than you do. And what we see here is one of the best and simplest ways to acknowledge that, to be a faithful steward of what God has given you, is to invite. What would it mean for our church to be an inviting church? That we invest in the, in the relationship. The problem is that so many of us have invested in relationships. We're so, we, we're, we're so scared to invite because of what that would do. But ultimately, if you know they don't know Christ, what's their hope in life? Because you know what? We know that everybody in our society is getting invitations all the time to all kinds of things. I mean, get on the internet. Hey, click here. This will change your life. Right. It'll get you hooked. It'll get you hooked on seeing naked bodies. That's an invitation. Hey, click here. This is a get rich quick scheme. That's an invitation. 
Invitations are all around. They're already happening. The problem with so many Christians is that we are, we are timid. And what Paulie was talking about at the beginning of this service, what, what happens when perfect love comes into our life like it did with Philip? It casts out all fear. Nathaniel, what's up, my brother? You got to meet my boy Jesus. He's changed my life. I don't care what you think of me. Because Jesus is so much better than any awkwardness or weird conversation we might have at Starbucks or in the office or at home. I got to tell you about it. Because, hey, you need to not be blind anymore. What we're saying, the, the walls that I can feel that you have, we want to tear them down. The chains that you have around you, they need to be broken. And here's the way it starts, an invitation. A simple invitation. Do we do that as a church? It takes faith, but here's what we know Hebrew says. Every time you use faith, you please God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. The moment where you feel your heart beating and you're like, okay, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Hey, I would love for you to come to the senior high school ski trip. Pat's going to give up. Oh, gosh, Pat's going to give a Jesus talk. But they need him. I'm going to invite him on a ski trip. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to invite him to Camp Clock. I'm going to invite him to a, a, a men's ministry breakfast. We use sports, right? I'm going I'm to invite him to play on the softball team. I know Frank sometimes or Kevin or Pat after the game prays and they'll say Jesus and it'll be awkward. But you know what? My invitation, God, we can use sports, right? He could use music. He can use all, but here, he says, I, West Town, I want you to invite. Verse 49. Then Nathaniel declared, after the invitation, after he realized, oh my goodness, this guy knows everything about me. Before Philip even said anything, he knew me. What happened? How God used an invitation. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. You think that's something? Follow me. You want to see a blind man get sight? You want to see the, the, the crippled man walk? Okay, follow me. Knowing that you're under the fig tree, that's, you know, that's, that's, small, that's small stuff. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And when you get this, right, and it's become contagious and you see that faith, though may not happen the first time or the second time or the third time, but when we're persistent and we have a heart that breaks for people like Jesus's heart does, and we're consistent with that. And they said, no, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times. And the 11th time they just got a divorce And they are absolutely undone. And you say, hey, why don't you come with me to the Christmas Eve service? And they do. And you see that persistence and that consistency. God used that. And an invitation leads to sight. I tell you what, this world is inviting people to things all the time, every day. You are invited to different things every day. And Jesus says, come on, my disciples. You know how much I love you. Do you remember the first person that invited you to church? I mean, why are you sitting here in these pews? I'm sitting here because a, um, my great-grandfather 
went to church, brought my grandmother to church, and uh, she loved uh, in this beautiful Methodist church up in Pennsylvania. And then I, you know, you see God use that invitation in my life. And then my grandfather marries uh, my grandmother. My father comes to know the Lord earlier on in his life. But then I, in 1985 or 84, my 65-year-old grandfather comes to faith for the very first time and used that invitation that my great-grandfather had to save my grandfather over time. And then all of a sudden, my family leads me and, and pushes me into church and invites me to church. And a guy by the name of Craig Swartz invites me into something deep with Jesus. And my life has been changed ever since. I haven't been the same person. So Nathaniel declares what? Rabbi, you are the son of God. Last point I want to make. Investing in the relationships that you have. Think of the, if you were to have to break three relationships or three people that you have a heart for and you put them on a three by five card. What if you did that and just put it in your car? These are three names. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to say, God, give me, give me the green light. Give me the peace and the, and the, and the strength and the risk and the courage to, to have that conversation, to invite them. Because they're getting other invitations, right? But notice that when Philip... When he says to Nathaniel, Philip says, come and see. Notice he doesn't say this, go and see. What's the difference? Have you ever told somebody, hey, you need to go see that movie. You need to go see that. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Go and see it. No, Philip doesn't say that. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come with me and see. Because a principle that is even more effective when you talk about investing and inviting is this. Come and see is most powerful when connected to come with me. It's one thing to say to somebody, come to church. You should go to church. Go to Westtown. They, you know, they got something on. It's a whole different thing to say, hey, I'm going to call you at 8.30 on Sunday morning and I'd like to pick you up. Or when your family gets here, I'm going to show you how to check in at this, with the kids checking, and then I'm going to walk you over to the nursery. And then when we walk into the sanctuary, I'm going to sit next to you because I want you to come with me and see this man named Jesus. When you use that relational capital and that powerful connection, and you say, don't just come and see, but come with me, I'll tell you what, it's tremendous. We see it all the time. Nowhere is it more displayed. I think we see it in the youth, in the youth ministry all the time. No, don't just go and see. I want you to come with me, and we're going to go listen to Jesus. So the pastor's son at Willow Creek did that very thing. And his best buddy, who's a big golfer, and he said, I, I want you to come, and I want you to start bringing you to youth. And this is a kid who had a full-ride golf scholarship to Clemson, unbelievable player. He felt empty after winning all these state tournaments uh, and signed his letter of intent to go to Clemson. And he comes in, and... Um, it was Joel and Allie, who are now married. They were high school sweethearts, uh, bringing Gil to, to youth group. And him coming to youth group and then coming on Sunday morning, listening to Pete. He came to know the Lord. But I think he came because Joel and Allie said to him, I don't want you to just come and see. I want you to come with me and see. What if we did that? It's going to make for some awkward conversations, right? It's going to be awkward. But I tell you what, when people know that you really care enough to personalize it, and say, sit next to me. Let's go out to lunch afterwards. Ask any question you want about this thing. 
I know it's new. If you know in your heart that God uses invitations, he uses the investment that you've made in these relationships, and then he uses that invitation. And then when you do it in community, I tell you what, this is a prescription for what our church needs. We can love the story of Scripture, but how, how do we do that? Inviting. Investing in relationships and inviting people and say, come sit next to me at church. I'm going to walk your kid right, and they're going to be right next to my kid in Kidstown or the nursery or whatever it may be. What if we did that? Would our church not be a very a praying church? Because you'd be looking out that window thinking, okay, I hope they come. And I'm going to be ready. And boy, I don't want this to be awkward. But I'm kind of excited that God's using me. They did say yes. Okay, I wonder what Frank don't stink this morning, right? Please don't stink, right? But you know what? You got mission then. You've got purpose on Sunday mornings then. Hey, God's using me? Are you kidding me? Philip had just come to know the Lord. Not, he wasn't a 10-year vet. He didn't know all the, you know, all the, the whole playbook. He had just been changed. He said, no, I'm going to go find somebody. I got to tell. We got to tell people. We got to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ and invite them to this because that's what God uses to save people. They're getting invitations all the time. Why not let them hear our invitation? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And as, as we pray, um, I want us to be mindful and, and, and prepare to come and receive the Lord's Supper. Because part of what we're inviting people to is the supper that we've been invited to and we've accepted. And so as you think about what it means for a body to be broken and for blood to be spilled for your life and for my life, let's give this weight. It's, it's what Christ gave us. Father God, you are here. And God, as we think about what it means to literally um, come and with faith partake in this sacrament, the spiritual relationship, God, between the bread and the body, God, and, and, and the blood and the juice. Father, it's that which you say as we take it each month. It grows us in grace. Father God, give us courage. Give us excitement that we are given eternal life, everlasting life. And there's so many people that don't know the gift is there. It is there to be accepted. May we be an evangelistic church, a church that gives the gospel the good news that Jesus came and loved us enough to die for us. God, prepare our hearts right now. We thank you for your grace that we absolutely do not deserve. In your name, amen.